Thanks, Dan. Good evening. Now, I want to start um, by asking you, um, do you ever feel insecure as a Christian? Do you ever feel insecure as a Christian? And if you ever walked into church on a Sunday and felt like a bit of a fraud? There are times when I think, I don't know whether you share this kind of thinking, if people really knew what I was like, or they knew the things that I'd done, or the thoughts that I think, or the words that have come out of my mouth, then people wouldn't want anything to do with me. People would want to keep their distance. I wonder if you've ever had those kind of thoughts. I think we have a deep fear sometimes of being known by other people and not loved by those people. Of being understood but not accepted. Of being seen clearly but then shunned. Now some of those thoughts um, come for us because of hard situations maybe that we've experienced in the past. Um, Some of them come because of our own natural human heart and our desire to be loved. And because of that insecurity and fear that I think maybe all of us share at times, we can all too easily put up a front, can't we? We can try and present to the world a carefully curated version of ourselves, a photoshopped version, a social media worthy version of what we're like. The Joe I'd like to be rather than the Joe I really am. And I think that fear can also change the way that we think about the God who rules this world. We've been seeing that this God is far bigger and far greater and far more perfect than we could possibly imagine. This God is without limits, incomprehensible, fully independent, eternal, unchanging, all present. And surely if that God knows what I'm really like, then he would want nothing to do with me and nothing to do with you, so we think. And so when we think like that, we hide away parts of our lives, don't we? We pretend that we're better than we really are. And we try and offer to God a Sunday best version of ourselves. But tonight, as we think about God's omniscience, I want to persuade you that because God knows everything, then you and I can be completely safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God knows absolutely everything about you and about me, we can be utterly safe in the Lord Jesus Christ, completely confident in him, known and loved. As I said last week, in our final three talks of this series, we're travelling on the omnibus, thinking about three attributes of God that begin with the prefix omni. Omni, if you weren't here last week, is the Latin uh, word meaning all. And tonight we uh, are mashing that together with the word science, which means knowledge. And so God is all knowing. That's what omniscience means. Now, before we delve into this topic, I want to give you um, a short exercise to do on your sheet. That box there, I want you to imagine, uh, symbolises all the possible knowledge in the world. That box is all the possible, just right there on your sheet there, is all the possible knowledge in the world of the past, of the present, of the future, knowledge of every person who's ever lived, every person who will ever live, knowledge of every creature and every corner of the created world, knowledge of every university discipline, whether it's computer science or fine art or biomedicine, knowledge of every piece of music, every work of literature, we could go on. If that box represents all possible knowledge in this world, then I want you just to put... um, Just shade in the knowledge that you have 
as an individual human being. Just think about it. There's the box there. I wonder what you've put. <laughs> Some people do more colouring than uh, I'd give you credit for, maybe. <laughs> um, I imagine that all of us have put a tiny little dot um, on that box, a little speck um, on the amount of knowledge that we possess of everything. Our minds contain a tiny, tiny amount, don't they, of what is possible to know in this world. Well, what about God? Well, he knows everything. That box would be completely coloured in for God. He knows himself fully. He knows um, creation fully. He knows the things that have happened, the things that will happen. He knows our outer deeds. He knows our inner intentions. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. He knows how many worms are in the ground. He knows how many grains of sand are in your childhood sandpit. He's the God without limits when it comes to knowledge. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. And as Dan said, I want to think about two particular aspects of his knowledge in this talk. Firstly, God knows us perfectly. God knows us perfectly. We're going to return to the psalm that we looked at last week, because as well as teaching us about God's omnipresence, it also teaches us about his omniscience. So turn to Psalm 139 uh, with me. Somebody could shout out a page number. 628, Psalm 139. Now, last week, we, um, we thought about the question, where is God? Um, this week, as we look at this psalm, I want to ask, what does God know? What does God know? Um, so have a look at verses one to four with me. So I'm just finding it here. Verses one to four. The director of music of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Now, verse one tells us all we need to know, I think, about God's knowledge of us. O Lord, you have searched me, David says, and you know me. I've got some good friends in this room who know me well, people who I've shared my life with. But I wouldn't be able to say to any of them, you know me. No one knows me completely, not even my wife, not even myself. But God's knowledge is different. He knows us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Verse 2 tells us that he perceives our thoughts from afar. He knows the thought that flashes into your mind in a moment. He knows the thoughts that keep us up at night. He knows us. As Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everything is uncovered before the God of this universe. He knows us perfectly. And this knowledge that God has is different to the way that we know things. I just want to think about that for a moment. Just think about how we come to know anything that we know um, right now. We know by discovery, don't we? We know by learning. For example, we've grown up learning words in Cantonese or Mandarin or English or other languages here that might be represented. We've learned a language that we once did not know, Welsh. 
Um, We've come to learn things about others and about the world and about ourselves. And all of that has happened either because we have come to discover it ourselves or seen it ourselves or because somebody else has told us about it. We know through learning. But God knows things differently to that. He knows things by creation, by creating them. He knows all things because he created all things. As we see uh, later on in Psalm 139, God created our inmost being, we see in verse 13. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. So we could say God doesn't have any L plates, doesn't need to research something in a textbook, doesn't need to go to university. He knows all things because he's the creator of all things. And so he knows things more fully, more intimately, more perfectly than any creature could. God is an expert on everything and he is an expert on you and he's an expert on me. And when we start thinking about this, it can be a little bit uncomfortable at first, can't it? A friend of mine likened the doctrine of God's omniscience to the first time he heard of salted caramel. I wonder if you can remember the first time that you heard of this unknown thing called salted caramel. You might have wondered, why would I ruin a perfectly good thing like caramel with salt? Why would I add a savoury thing to something so deliciously sweet like caramel? We were offended, weren't we, by the sheer madness of it. But then we tasted salted caramel ice cream. And we came to realise that this is a little taste of heaven. And we went from being a salted caramel junkie, uh, sceptic to a salted caramel junkie. And whenever we see it on a menu, we start to salivate, don't we? Enough about my life story. Let's uh, move on to something else. Do you see that we can be a bit like this when it comes to God's omniscience? At first, it sounds like bad news. That God would know everything. And that he would know everything about me. That can sound like bad news. And it is uncomfortable to think about, isn't it? Because it means that God is not fooled by the photoshopped versions of ourselves. I can't trick him into seeing Joe as somebody who he really isn't. I cannot pretend like my thoughts are always pure. He knows me. He knows my sin better than I know my sin. He knows the darkness of my heart better than I know the darkness of my heart. Why would his omniscience be something that we could therefore rejoice in? Well, this is where we need to taste the salted caramel. Because if God knows all things about you, things in the past, things in the present, things in the future, and if he has chosen in view of all that knowledge to send his son, the Lord Jesus, for you, then there is nothing that will change God's mind about having you as one of his people. You are fully known, but in spite of your great sin, that he knows perfectly, you are fully loved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read these verses uh, from Romans 5 on the sheet. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, knowing that we were ungodly, knowing that we were sinners and knowing the full extent of what that means, demonstrated his love for us and sent his one and only son to reconcile us to himself. Nothing you do, nothing you think, nothing you say will be a surprise to God. And Christ died for you knowing those things already. That doesn't excuse our sin. 
But it does mean that we can be confident that when God says to us, there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, that he really means those words. Let me illustrate this by asking you to imagine that your car is parked outside the church building. If you don't have a car, you can dream. Um, And imagine that another student comes into Real Food this evening and says, I'm so sorry, but I, I was parking in the car park and I scraped your car as I came in. It's just a little scratch on the side of your car. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And you say, well, it doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, of course. Of course, I forgive you. But then imagine that you walked outside to the car park with your friend uh, to inspect the scratch and you, f- you find out that it's not a small scratch and what was a small scrape was not in fact a small scrape, but it was actually a full speed reverse into your car by your friend. And that by scratch, your friend actually wrote off that car and it can't be driven again. And then the friend asks you, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you say yes. Which forgiveness carries more weight? Which forgiveness brings a clear conscience and a joyful reconciliation of the relationship? Well, it's the second one, isn't it? Let's apply that thinking to how we think about God. He knows that we've written off the car. He knows the full extent of our rebellion. And he has fully forgiven it through the sacrificial death of his son, the Lord Jesus. Nick Tucker writes um, on the sheet, there's nothing new that God could learn about you that would put him off. God really knows you and knowing you, he really loves you. Do you see how God's omniscience is like tasting salted caramel for the first time? This is what brings security and assurance to us as Christians. So God knows us perfectly. That's the first thing to see. Secondly, God knows the future perfectly. Now, again, this is a point, I think, where omniscience starts to feel a little bit like bad news because we have all sorts of questions, don't we, as we think about God's knowledge of the future. If God knows the future perfectly, then how can I have free will? If God knows the future, why doesn't he stop bad things from happening? If God knows the future, does that mean he knows who will be saved? And because of these hard questions, some Christians want to put forward different ideas about God's knowledge. And this usually boils down to limiting God's knowledge in some way about the future. An example sometimes used uh, by people who limit God's knowledge is to describe him a bit like a divine chess player. Now, I enjoy chess. I know there are people in this room who enjoy chess. I don't like being beaten by Rika, but it keeps happening. Um, I know there are people who probably hate chess in here as well, but I'm sure you know the game. You make one move and it changes the rest of the game. And you make another move and another move. And all the time you're trying to see a few moves ahead, working out all the possible options. This is how people sometimes think about God, that he is a really good cosmic chess grandmaster. That he knows all the possible options that might be made, knows all the moves that might possibly be made. And then he waits for our move and then he orders things based on his knowledge. Doesn't know what's going to happen yet. Doesn't have the full picture of how the game will play out. But he can respond to our moves with perfect wisdom. Now, this is attractive, I think, because it tries to give creatures control. But the result is that we limit the God who has no limits. It makes this world, in some sense, uncertain if God doesn't know the future. What if God makes the wrong move? And it also makes his work dependent upon his creatures. 
We're going to think more about this next week as we think about God's um, omnipotence, his uh, sovereignty over all things. But I think this view leaves us with a God we cannot fully depend on. Much better, I think, to have a God who knows the future perfectly. And I think that's how the Bible presents God to us. Just listen to how the London Baptist Confession talks about God's knowledge. Um, A bit of a convoluted sentence, but hopefully we'll be able to unpack it together. Um, I think this is a, a more biblical way to speak. God's knowledge is infinite, so it's without limits. It's infallible, there's no error. It's independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. Nothing is uncertain to God. Nothing about the future is shrouded in mystery to him. It's all plain in his sight. We see this. If you've still got Psalm 139 open, have a look at verse 4, where we see something of this. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Or verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the future is laid out in God's eyes, in God's sight, like a beautiful tapestry. He knows it perfectly. Nothing is uncertain. Nothing is outside of his, his knowledge. Nothing is outside of his control. The problem we have is that we're viewing the tapestry from underneath, aren't we? Or we can see afraid bits of fabric and we're not quite sure how all the bits fit together. We don't have the whole picture, but our omniscient God, our good God, can and he does. Now, there's loads of implications of this. I think one thing is that he he can keep every promise that he makes. It also means that every wrong will be righted in perfect justice because God knows not just the actions that people commit, but also the thoughts and intentions of our hearts in a way that we can never see. And it also means that every prayer we pray will be answered according to God's perfect knowledge. Just listen to how Barry Cooper uh, talks about God's knowledge when it comes to prayer. I find this really helpful. He says, It is a glorious and comforting thought that when we pray, God answers that prayer, not in line with the way we see things, but in line with the perfect way that he sees things. For believers, that means that as our loving Father, God gives us precisely what we would give to ourselves if we knew everything that he knows. And he also withholds from us what we would withhold from ourselves if we knew what he knows. What a wonderful encouragement to pray and trust God to answer according to his perfect wisdom. If we pray and he answers our request, It's because that's the best thing for us and for others. If he chooses not to answer, then that's because that's the best thing for us and for others. He knows all things. He's good. He's wise. We can depend on him. Are you beginning to taste the salted caramel tonight? And never look back. God knows us perfectly and he loves us. He knows the future perfectly and so we can trust him. And finally, I want to say that all of this means that we can, we can and, we, and we must approach God humbly. This is our third point tonight. We must approach him humbly. I've been looking at several passages this week that teach us about God's knowledge about all things. And it seems like there's a common thread through the Bible when it comes to God's knowledge. And it's interesting um, that it's the theme of humility. In our pride, we often grasp at more knowledge than uh, God chooses to give us. Just think back to Genesis chapter 3, for example. 
The lie of the serpent was this, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. They were led into rebellion by their desire to possess the knowledge that was only right for God to possess. And from that time on, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, knowledge can puff us up. It's often our pride that leads us to want to know more than we need to know and to understand more than God chooses to reveal to us. And on the other hand, a proper response to God's omniscience is humility. Just look at a couple of verses from Psalm 139 to see this. David, acknowledging God's perfect knowledge, then says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I'll have a look at verses 17 and 18, uh, just over the page. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So David's response to God's infinite knowledge is not to angrily shout back and not revealing more than he has, but to humbly trust that God's thoughts are his thoughts and God's ways are hidden from him. And God's knowledge is too wonderful for him, too lofty, too precious for a creature. I want to take you to the book of Job uh, to see a similar thing. The book of Job is really the, the clash of human knowledge with God's knowledge. And when God finally speaks to Job in the later chapters of the book, and he reveals to Job all the things that Job does not know and will never know, just listen to how Job responds in chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I've spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Do you see how very similar to David, Job spoke of things too wonderful for him. He spoke of someone who uh, spoke of someone who only ever sees the underside of the tapestry and never sees um, the perfect picture. God's perfect knowledge is too wonderful for us to know. Or think about the passage that some of us are going to be looking at in Romans chapter 9 tonight. Paul explains to us the sovereign, saving work of God. And in response to our questioning, Paul says, Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? And he ends the section, Romans uh, chapter 11, Verse 33, with these words about God's knowledge, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God's wisdom and knowledge is as deep as the ocean. It's like the Mariana Trench, unfathomable, unreachable to finite creatures. And so Paul, as he responds, he responds with humble praise to the God who knows all things. We're people who have one dot in the box of knowledge, a tiny perspective on the grand sweep of history. God comprehends it all. And if we're tempted to view that as bad news, we need to remember that the God who possesses all wisdom and the one who holds the world in his hands is the same God who had nails driven through his hands as he died on the cross. He's a God of infinite goodness and infinite love, a God who we can trust in all the circumstances of life. 
It's wonderful to know that God knows us perfectly and loves us perfectly, that he knows the future perfectly and so we can approach him humbly with trust in his plans. I'm going to give you a moment uh, just to reflect uh, using those discussion questions on the sheet um, and then I'm going to pray for us using some words from Psalm 131. Just have two or three minutes just to think about those questions down on the sheet.